the one thing I've never done is, is this funny or not? Because I crack myself freaking up. If I have, if I do put something aside and then I go back to read it and it makes me laugh, I'm like, yeah, baby, that's me. I did that. Yeah, baby, that's us. We did that too. Here's bonus Betsy on You May Contribute a Verse. the normal intro even for the bonus stuff i'm josh munkin children's lit author father science communicator and podcaster joined by brennan jenneret children's lit author mother avid climber and outdoors person and podcaster this is the podcast you may contribute a verse where we talk to kid lit creators share their stories and learn from their journeys when we have folks on who are generous with their time and their expertise we like to take advantage of that vampire style and wring them dry of every bit of their knowledge we can think to ask about What we have this week is a result of a call to peers and fans in a podcast-first crowdsourcing effort. You get to hear Brenna and me not meander organically through a conversation, but instead curate a much shorter chat sourced by friends. If you haven't already listened to our full conversation with Betsy Bird, please do so at your earliest convenience, even going so far as to stop the podcast right now while you catch up. Now that only the wisest among us are still here or here again, depending on your situation personally, here's a connective tissue I see in this supplemental conversation that by its nature hops around a bit. Betsy Bird is clearly comfortable knowing and growing and moving within her expertise and within the publishing industry at large, whether it's advocating for herself and her work, assembling lists, knowing she's funny or navigating industry trends. It's all of a piece with someone who has put in her time and keeps putting in her time to take in and to give back. I'm really happy to share this bonus, Betsy. Enjoy one more bit of this ostrich gal's verse. Well, let me, since I know we're we're running out of time, I feel like we could just chat forever about books and all kinds of things. But I'm going to bring up some of the questions that we crowdsourced because we we should get to that. We did promise. We promised the... The people, we should give them what they want. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> okay. So the first question is um, from CK Malone, and they would like to know about your process for choosing your book lists. They want to know, um, does everyone send you one? Do you read platforms? Um, your lists are legendary, and they want to know if you've ever thought about publishing it as some kind of a book or anthology or like collection. Yeah, I don't think I could ever really publish them as a book. For one thing, uh, it's proprietary material. Technically, I believe it belongs to the School Library Journal. This came up when I did my 100 um, Best Picture Books poll and my 100 Best Kids Novels poll. And we thought about maybe turning those into a book and then ran into the whole ramifications of, if I put something on my blog, does it even belong to me? Does it belong Mm. to them? It was a lot. So no, I probably won't publish them as books. They are something I work on ev- almost every day um, because oh. every I'm constant. Well, first of all, I, I made it easy on myself. I started a, a committee here at my library, which is the 101 Great Books for Kids Committee. So it's not just me. Everyone on this committee and anyone in my library can join. I mean, you could be like a janitor. You could be um, you could be like the, the library you know, head if you want to. If you want to join this committee, you don't have to be a children's librarian. Anyone can join. Nice. I'm getting these galleys from these publishers because of my blog. So I put them out for everyone to read. And that way, they're the ones, we have this whole Google Doc. People can put stuff in. They don't put in stuff that they think is meh. 
mm. which is like 90% of what we see. Right. But they're cutting through the meh. They find the good stuff. Then they bring it to my attention. And they say, hey, you should read this. So everything I'm reading, right. and I'm reading everything I get my hands on that looks halfway interesting. So I, I read five picture books every lunch, plus like a longer nonfiction a little bit, and then like the fiction book I'm working on. So that's like every day. So five picture books per day. Um, and then I'm putting the ones that are meh and I, I don't even mention them. They don't make any lists, but the ones that I think could make a list, I have a whole wiki just for myself where I put them on there with the comments at the time. So that at the end of the year, I'm not going to have to like suddenly come up with writing all those descriptions. And I'm going to be like, what was that book about? Cause I read it back in May and I do not remember it now. Now I've got the comments that can remind me, Oh, okay. I remember this. And then I can plug those in. So if I'm doing it continually throughout the entire year, when you get to the end of the year, that's when you put the list together. It's so much easier because yeah. <laughs> I was not doing it that way before and I regretted it. And uh, <laughs> now it's great. And those comments are the same comments I also put into the staff wiki, Google Doc, um, so that, you know, there's this continuity between the two. And then people will bring up stuff and they'll be like, look, I know you love this book, but it's about camouflaged insects. And they're like from all over the world, but they're all apparently in this one place in this book. And that's scientifically inaccurate and it's not great to put. And I'll be like, I hadn't thought of it that way. And so I might take it off of the one the list at the end of the year because of people's comments. So it's great getting feedback. Yeah. It's not just everything in my own head because I miss stuff. We all miss stuff. So. Oh, smart. It's a whole other conversation about discipline and routine. <laughs> Five picture books every lunch. <laughs> my picture books is not long. I got an hour for lunch. That's like half my lunch. And yeah, but there's the veg time. Figure out what else to do? Yeah. Yeah. And three board books. Always, if I have board books, I, I max out at three. I can't do more than three board books. They should take too long to read. Yeah. You do. <laughs> like, 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 where did the duck go? You're like, exactly. No. Yeah. What if they have flaps? That's a whole other. That's well, well I have to test the flaps now, right? right? And if it makes sound, then I become the most interesting person in the staff lunchroom. I can tell you that. <laughs> no. Okay. No, it was insufficient. Yes. <laughs> okay. So next question. Which one of your books is your favorite to read aloud? Of my books? Yes. Which oh, I was like asking which of my kids I love the most. Um, <laughs> you could answer, but you won't. You know, I tried. I tried to convince the Long Road to the Circus people to let me do the audiobook because um, I think I would have done Cracker Jack job, but they weren't really set up for that. And uh, but they did let me audition the six women who were trying out to be the audiobook person, and we, we came to the decision together. That was pretty cool. Oh, uh, that's fun. I think I could do. Uh, I usually do the first chapter of Long Road to the Circus when I'm like doing like a public presentation of it, and I gotta say, there's something. Okay, well. It's tied. It's tied. It's tied between that and then Funny Girl. You know, Funny Girl wasn't my writing, right? Mm. But I adopted one of the stories in there, the Shannon Hale one about babysitting, which is super gross and very <laughs> creepy and all pretty much based on true story with her own children. Um, and because oh she has twins who are wonderful. And, uh, and I can read that puppy. I practically have that thing memorized. And I, I read that aloud at like a book release party. And there was this girl who was friends with my daughter. My daughter didn't come because I figured she was too young. She was like six. But this girl was there. And you could not, I, I've never been thrown off by a response, but she was laughing so hard <laughs> that I couldn't keep reading because she was just, I was like, so it's a tie. It's a tie between that story in Funny Girl and Long Road in the Circus, the first chapter. Awesome. Those are, yeah, those are both, those are both great. I feel like it would be so fun to have the one about 
the babysitting incident just like memorized and ready to go, especially with that reaction. Are you kidding? Because oh how fun I'm, is I'm that? good at it now. I've got, <laughs> I've got the cadences down. I once heard Shannon read it and it just like was weird for me. I was like, why, why are you <laughs> reading my, my story? This is from my, my story. Head? Yeah, yeah, right. It's, like, it's almost as weird as hearing. I can't listen to people who read my audiobooks, not for a long period of time, because the words from my head are coming out of your lips. And that's creepy. Like, how did that even happen? Like, my right. thoughts are you're saying them? So weird. The different? Like, <laughs> nope. Nope. That's like body possession. I don't understand it. I'm like, nope. Mm-mm. Weird. I can't listen to it. I can't listen to the audiobook. I'd love to listen to it, but I just can't. So this next one is from another critique partner of ours, Catherine. Um, she used to live in Evanston, and she wants to know... Um, has your community inspired your creative process at all? And she says oh, she oh, misses yes. Evanston and she just put a bunch of your books on, on hold. Aw, that's super sweet. Evanston's amazing. I didn't realize this when I was going to move here. I was just like, it's a hat that sits on Chicago. Here's Chicago. Here's Evanston. It's right on top. <laughs> right. Um, but I just didn't know about the children's literature community. First of all, we've got a gazillion authors and illustrators in this town. Um, Cosby Cabrera, who won two uh, Caldecott honors last year. Um, We've got, uh, you know, Jacob Brandt. We've got uh, Sarah Aronson. We've got like just a ton of people just happen to live in this town because of Northwestern. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) Then we've got an entirely different crew of people who serve constantly uh, like librarians who serve on the Newberry. My coworker, Brian, just, he was the head of the legacy committee. You know, he chose Grace Lynn as, as this year's legacy award winner. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we've got, you know, huge, like um, people who serve on like tons of committees whose names are like as librarians and they're well-known. And then you've got Junko Yokota, who is internationally recognized as one of the greatest specialists in children's books internationally. She just headed up the Hans Christian Andersen Award Committee, which oh is like, gosh. I think that's like the second biggest payoff for an international author or illustrator. She just, wow. she, I, she's planning our whole trip to Bologna. So I had no idea when I moved here that I was basically just going into a children's literature hub. I knew about some of them. I knew about Amherst and I knew about you know, Minneapolis and all that, but I had no idea about, <laughs> about, um, Evanston and it's it's been fantastic. Wow. I yeah, I can't imagine how it wouldn't inform some of your writing. I mean, the you know, those are high standards. Like surround your people with or surround yourself with the people, you know, you want to be like. So yeah. Okay, so I'll ask this one. And I the ones that I have in front of me are not attributed with people's names, so sorry if I get it wrong. But do you have any techniques for figuring out if something's funny after you've been working on it too or w- working on it too long to tell? <laughs> other than letting it sit. I absolutely love that you think I wouldn't be able to tell if I was funny or not. I guess that must happen to people. Uh, no. okay, have you have you muddled with this Look, for a, so long? Yeah. There's a there's a distinct advantage to the size of my ego in that I have never doubted my own humor, which is really interesting. I've doubted so many things. Like, am I a good writer? And like, can I even get anything published? Like, maybe my agent hates me now. Like, I've done all of that. The one thing. I've never done is, is this funny or not? Because I crack myself freaking up. If I have, if I do put something aside and then I go back to read it and it makes me laugh, I'm like, yeah, baby, that's me. I did that. <laughs> and that's, it's happened with Long Road the Circus. I'd be like flipping through and I'd be reading a page and I go, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. So no, I mean, I, I can tell when a joke doesn't land um, pretty quickly. 
um, I'll, I'll write it out and I'll be like, I'm going to come back to that because mm. <laughs> I'm like, that's not, it's, it's, it's getting there, but it's not where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my reflection on that is that there are ways that you can react to edits and notes in a way that confuses a joke or loses oh, yeah. some of the punch that you had when yeah. you had first conceived of it. <laughs> there, um, that was, that was my poor copy editor, my poor, poor copy editor. Boy, she was, she was very good, but she did not get my humor. She did not. Mm. And so she would often be like, you know, should we keep this? I don't know. What what drove her really crazy was that I, I used a lot of phrases that she'd be, she would do the research. She'd be like, this book is supposed to take place in this year. And this phrase didn't come into existence until 1945. And I'd be like, oh, that's a good copy editor. Okay. <laughs> so I take it out. But sometimes she'd just be like, you wrote this funny. Like it was someone saying something, but in like a kind of a wacky way, and be like, "Nope, stat, baby, that one stays." Sorry, <laughs> that, one's, that one's mine. I messed up. Okay, so Carol Saller, mm-hmm. subversive copy editor. Where's my window here? Can you talk about uh, book cover trends and ways a cover can fall short? Hmm, they've trended so differently over the years. It used mm-hmm. to be well, and it still is. I'm okay. I'm having a hard time knowing if this is still the case. It used to be. When a publisher was making a whole bunch of books, they'd go to Barnes and Noble and Barnes and Noble would look at them and be like, look, if you don't change this cover, we're not doing this book. And so they would change to meet the demands of Barnes and Noble. Now with the rise of Amazon, Barnes and Noble hasn't been doing as well. So I don't know if they still have that power. This is why when you used to look at like the YA novels, it was all girls in gowns, like running away with their heads over their shoulders. Like that was Barnes and Noble's like influence, like wall to wall. These days, it's very interesting um, because I'm not just seeing kids trends. I buy adult for my library and I'm seeing fascinating cover trends there. Like all these adult romances have cartoony covers like that. They look like YA novels, just tons of them. Like I, I, I can we actually have a display right now of just all these cartoony, romancy, sweet books. Um, which are really hot right now. So on the kids' side of things, you know, it used to be that they would not picture anyone black unless it was a silhouette. Because they were like, well, it's classy. We're like, yeah, no, you're trying to hide the fact they're black. Don't do that. Um, That has gone almost 100% away. Very rarely. You'll see it once in a while. But no, then now it's a point of pride. It's like, look, look, we have black characters in the book. Um, of the trends, I mean, it tends to be more color-based, I've noticed. Like someone recently, I think it was, uh, was it Travis Yonker? Someone pointed out all these bluey, greeny, blue, blue, green <laughs> covers. Or maybe it was like my local bookstore was doing it. And it was like all the bluey with the greeny on the covers and, you know, and then the Gary Paulson Nightwind and all these things. It was very pretty. Um, but I've not seen, like some, we used to see like a bunch of books all looking the same. And I'm, I, I see a lot more of the cartoony covers on the middle grades than I think I used to. Very, you know, just drawn character. They all kind of blend together after a while. Mm. I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm very much a 12-year-old in terms of what I'll pick up. And if the cover looks like every other book that's out there, I'm just like, I don't care. I don't want it. I'm not interested. <laughs> I don't, this does not interest me. The fantasy novels have come back. Um, they've bounced back a little bit. They, they, they were high on Harry Potter, and then they went down for a little bit with the realistic you know, middle grades. Now they're really coming back. I'm seeing a lot more of them. But there's such a wide variety of, of what kind of covers they're doing. So, no, I'm not mm-hmm. seeing huge trends right now that are notable. 
That is interesting, though, in in terms of distributor control. I mean, that puts me in mind of uh, Walmart being the end of a lot of retail products controlling how they're packaged and shipped. Same kind of concept with the decline in retail. Uh, You're a little bit freer to do what you want. Well, that said, I did write an article about this time last year, I believe, about book covers. Um, And I spoke to a lot of art designers. And what they said is the trend is right now that the cover has to be thumbnail sized and catch your eye because everything's everybody's on their phones. So when you're looking at Goodreads, when you're looking at Amazon, when you're looking at all this stuff, you're only looking at these teeny tiny little covers here. And there's got to be something about that that pops. Um, On the YA side, there was a lot of handwritten words. Like the typography has definitely gone through a a real change, certainly on the YA Mm. side. Um, But generally speaking, it, it's got to be something that you can see small and from a distance. I think there's a new book, uh, it's middle grade called Free Water. Just look at that cover by local illustrator, Cosby Cabrera. She did the cover on that. Um, but it's like the kid's face and it's really prominent with the green and the face and the white shirt. And it's, you just, re- it, I mean, on a very small scale, you would instantly recognize that book. Think of The Last Quintista, which just won the Newberry. You know, that's a distinctive like purples and reds and and the face right there with the disgusting skinless creatures all around it like that's cool um so yeah it's 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 interesting so let's see i'm gonna skip a couple of these because we've touched on them already but this so this is a great one from uh chris conover and she wants to know was your collection of victorian side saddle ostrich photos amassed before or after writing long road to the circus that is a fair question to (laughs) ask Um, it was discovered in the course of things because I had this character who was being asked to ride an ostrich side saddle, which I just came up with. I've never heard of a human being in their life being asked to ride an ostrich side saddle. It just seemed like a weird (laughs) ask. I was like, I just talked about it. I was like, did anybody? So I just put into the old Google, Victorian women riding ostrich side saddle or just riding ostrich side saddle, honestly. And then I discovered that apparently it was just this whole thing where like you get these uncomfortable Victorian ladies and you'd plop them on top of either a dead ostrich, because I'm not convinced that thing's alive, or just a really like, eh, whatever, like low-key ostrich. And uh, yeah, they just sit on it, side saddle, have their photo taken. I don't know, there's something going on with that ostrich because I know the exposure times on these had to be a certain amount of length and I've never right. seen an ostrich like stand still for that long. So I don't know, something going on there. But in any case, uh, yeah, that was amassed after, I'll have to say, just <laughs> in the course of research. And boy, did it pay off, I have to say. All right, so uh, we've got our episode title, Betsy Bird, Low-Key Ostrich Girl. Oh, sure. <laughs> ostrich yeah. Gal. As ostrich Gal, like sorry. The original yeah. title. It was supposed to be That's called. Right. Yes. Yes. And okay, so I have one last question. We can end on this one because this is a great one. Also from Chris Conover. Um, As a child, did you dream of leaving your hometown to seek adventure or perhaps join a circus of some sort? I know it's a fair question. You would think from that book that I would have, but no, no, in fact, no. What I dreamed of was maybe... Well, I would write, when I was a kid, I was a writer, um, and I would write, I remember writing these epic stories that all took place in small, baroque-sized towns. Uh, So always, like, you knew everyone there, and people, it was, like, basically Encanto. Like, I was basically writing Encanto in Michigan, rural Michigan, like, because, you know, your whole family's there, and, like, there's some, like, kind of magical element, and, you know, but everybody knows each other, and it's super cozy. I don't know why. I grew up in Kalamazoo, but it's a pretty big town, I guess. 
Um, so, but I, I actually for a long time just figured I'd come back to Kalamazoo. I was like, why would I not? There, <laughs> my daughter's very much the same way. She claims she's definitely going to come back to Evanston. You know, she'll go off, but she'll she'll come back. And her logic is not that dissimilar from my own logic at the time, which was, look, we've got no mudslides, no wildfires, uh, there's no hurricanes, uh, there's no volcanoes, the earthquakes don't really happen that much, and the tornadoes. There hasn't been a tornado in Evanston since 1920, so we like those odds. Um, so, <laughs> so I was, that same way. I was like, look, you got everything here. Why would you leave? But then you leave and you're like, ah. Right. You're like, oh. Right. Those oh, things cool. I mentioned are interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much. This was super fun. And I just love that you were up for coming on our little podcast. I was so happy to talk to you. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. I obviously like to jabberjaw a lot. So this is just a wonderful <laughs> excuse to do so. We're very happy you didn't get kicked out of your meeting room at the library. Yes. It's, it's, thankfully, it's just people who want to eat lunch in here. And I keep being like, no. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> across the hall. Like, it's big there's it's not there's magic being made in the room. I'm making magic. Yeah, exactly. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind our cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renagenerate.com, and joshmontgords.com. See you next verse. Bye.